Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I See the Bad Moon Arising edition as the Bengals lose their sensational rookie quarterback, Joe Burrow, for the rest of the 2020 season. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays from Sunday's loss in Washington, post-game comments from players and coaches, and in-depth analysis from Dave Lapham. And in this week's Fun Facts segment, you'll get to know the person under the pads as I go one-on-one with defensive lineman Xavier Williams. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since curbside pickup. There haven't been many good things to come out of the coronavirus pandemic, but one small exception is the increased availability of curbside pickup. Stores and restaurants are doing it to help customers feel safer, but I like it for the speed and convenience. It's almost as convenient as having your favorite podcast pop up on your preferred listening device simply by subscribing. Hint, hint. Now, let's get to Sunday's game. The first 18 minutes might have been the most frustrating stretch that the Bengals have played all year. On their opening drive, they started at their own 10, marched to the Washington 15, and didn't score when Randy Bullock missed a 34-yard field goal try. After Washington scored a touchdown to take a 7-0 lead, the Bengals did it again. They started at their own 25, drove to the Washington 3, and came up empty when they went for it on fourth and goal, and Joe Burrow fumbled after being hit by Chase Young while trying to scramble into the end zone. After two drives, they had 144 yards and no points. But the third time was the charm. Second down and goal from the four for Cincinnati. Burrow is under center now. Pirine is the running back. Burrow fakes Uh-oh. a handoff, throws before getting hit. Nice. Caught, A.J. Green, touchdown Cincinnati as Adriel Jeremiah Green finds the end zone for the first time in 756 days. And first touchdown pass between Joe Burrow and A.J. Green, obviously. And Burrow got rid of the football with a player, defensive player, draped on his legs. A.J. Green just stays with it. Joe Burrow throws the ball in a tight window, and that's with a defensive player at his legs. He delivers that football just before being taken to the ground. Tremendous effort by Burrow and A.J. Career touchdown catch number 64 for A.J. Green, just two behind Chad Johnson's franchise record. Unfortunately, Bullock missed the extra point, and the Bengals trailed 7-6. But Randy atoned late in the half from long distance. As long as 55, so his leg is strong enough. Here comes the swing of the leg. This kick looks good, good, and it is good. Randy Bullock comes through from 53 yards away, and the Bengals take the lead 9-7 with 139 left in the half. The Bengals got the ball back on a Jesse Bates interception and had a chance to score again on the final play of the half. But Bullock's 58-yard field goal try, which would have been a new club record, hit the right upright, and the Bengals went to the locker room up 9-7. Burrow was fantastic in the first half going 21 for 29 
for 195 yards with one touchdown and a passer rating of 101.9. Unfortunately, less than four minutes into the second half, his rookie season came to an end. Third down and three. The Bengals at their own nine. They have three receivers in a tight cluster to the right, close to the right tackle. Single receiver out to the left, Drew Sample. Burrow back to throw from the two, loops it high downfield. Oh. Leaping attempt by Boyd, broken up by Fuller. And after gaining seven yards uh -oh. on the first play, Joe's Joe hurt. Burrow is down. Joe's hurt. And he's grabbing his left knee, oh, and he's God. in pain. Oh, God. Allen, I think, put the hit on him, and Joe Burrow released this football. They brought. They had seven up at the line of scrimmage. Giovanni Bernard went up to the line of scrimmage and picked up his uh, rusher in blitz pickup. Finley's going to have to get ready in a hurry. Looks like Joe Burrow's in trouble. The biggest nightmare for Bengals fans this season was an injury to rookie quarterback Joe Burrow, and he was in serious pain at the end of that play, reaching for his left knee. Burrow was taken off the field on a cart, and before the game was finished, sent out a tweet with the following message. Thanks for all the love. Can't get rid of me that easy. See ya next year. With his left leg planted after making the throw, Burrow got hit just above the left knee, causing it to cave inward. It wasn't a dirty play. The lineman trying to get to him was falling forward while battling with left guard Michael Jordan, and they wound up crashing into the Bengals' quarterback. CBS elected not to show a replay. The Bengals were understandably shaken and played poorly the rest of the game as Washington scored 13 unanswered points to win 20-9. Backup quarterback Ryan Finley struggled. He went 3-for-10 with one interception for a passer rating of zero and got sacked four times. Here are Zach Taylor and Ryan Finley. To lose your quarterback is tough. But, but that's that's the way it goes, you know, and, and uh, next man up and Finley Finley came up and we got to help him. And I, I got to call, put him in some better situations there um, to give him some confidence going early. And, and we just didn't get it done all the way around. Obviously, my thoughts right now are with Joe and just um, hoping he's going to be OK and uh, ha have a speedy recovery. That was that was tough to see. So we've grown close. So that was that was hard to see. But, um, you know, I got to be ready. That's my role. So um, I got a week to, to get a lot better. Um, and be able to put this team in a position to win football games. So that's kind of where my mind's at. Joe Burrow was not sacked on Sunday and wound up being sacked 32 times this year. Only Carson Wentz with 40 and Russell Wilson with 33 have been sacked more often. Burrow was hit roughly 80 times. After the game, Zach Taylor was asked if he could have done more to protect his quarterback this season. All we can do is make progress as the season goes, and we gave up a lot of pressure early in the season. In these last couple of weeks, our guys have done a great job of keeping people off Joe. He's had a great pocket. Um, you know, he did not have a sack in the first half. And the hit, as I saw it, wasn't when he had the ball in his hand. And so, you know, people keep talking about the offensive line without it seemingly watching the film from the last four weeks. And so, again, those guys have done a good job. It's been a revolving door for players. They're doing a great job. Um, Joe's done a good job moving us down the field. And we felt like we were making a lot of progress. Um, over the last five weeks, and we're not going to apologize for any of that. After the game, the NFL Network's Ian Rappaport tweeted that Burrow suffered a torn ACL based on the initial diagnosis with the possibility of additional damage. So Burrow finished his rookie year by completing 65% of his passes with 13 touchdowns, five interceptions, and a passer rating of 89.8. He averaged 269 passing yards per game. Here are teammates Ryan Finley 
Carl Lawson, and A.J. Green. You know, I talked with them. I, I sat with them for, for a little bit. Um, I didn't really have many words. I didn't know what to say um, other than, um, you know, I, I hope he recovers very soon because he's, he's a hell of a player, and it's been it's been a lot of fun watching him play, um, you know, the, this first half of the season. So um, excited for when he's back. You can tell just the way he carries himself, his aura. Um, he's just trying to get better. I mean, after the Ravens game, he was like, yeah, that's, that's never going to happen on me. Like, you know, he's damn near crying because he didn't feel, feel like he played that well. Um, and, that, and that's something I can relate to because that's kind of that's how I am. So I, no doubt in my mind, that dude's going to be okay. Man, he's just a guy's guys, man. He's just, just one of the guys, you know, just – that's the biggest thing for him. You know, you see these quarterbacks are number one. You know, they don't talk. They look sort of like quiet. But Joe is a guy guy, man. That's a guy that you want in the huddle with you. It was obviously a devastating blow for Zach Taylor, who was tasked with developing the number one pick in this year's draft. He handled everything like a professional from day one. And to, to be voted a captain just speaks everything you need to know about the guy. And the, the players have responded to him. The coaches have responded to him. The city has responded to him and all that is equally as important, you know? And so again, he energizes this team and, and um, you know, he's been a tremendous player, everything we hoped he'd be. And we'll get him back at some point. You know, we don't know when that is, but for now we got to, we got to transform that energy and put it somewhere else in this team. And again, we got plenty of guys we can rely on. I thought our defense showed us some really good stuff today in some areas. We, we didn't do enough in the second half on offense, you know? So they got us some stops where you got to, you got to transfer that and go down and score points and regain that momentum. And we didn't do that today. And so, again, it was just uh, we, we weren't solid enough in all three phases to come out of here with a win. And now they turn to Finley, who went 0-3 as a rookie starter last year with the Bengals averaging 11 points in those three games. With no offseason program and no preseason games, Finley hasn't received the practice reps that a backup quarterback normally would. You know, this week in practice will be good, getting reps with those guys and um, getting timing and getting some confidence. But, um you know, you got you to gotta get ready for the starting quarterback each week. So, um, obviously, Joe's a special talent. So, you know, it's been his show. But um, I'm ready for my role, and I'm ready to uh, I'm ready to play well. The Bengals are 2-7-1. and one. With wins by the Chargers and Cowboys on Sunday, they're currently number three in next year's draft order, behind the Jets and Jaguars. But that's the last thing on Zach Taylor's mind. The objective is to go win. And, and that's, that's been the objective since day one, regardless of who's playing on the field for you. We got to do more to win football games. We have not won enough. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's, I tell these guys, I, I love going to battle with these guys. I really do. Um, Cause they, they give us everything they got. And today was a disappointing day for all of us, but um, Ben, to answer your question, the, the goal is to go win football games next week. Up next, a home game against the three and seven New York giants who had a bye this week after winning their previous two games. The Giants are right in the thick of things in the NFC least. Philadelphia's on top at 3-6-1. The Giants, Cowboys, and Washington football team all just a half game back at 3-7. Now, time for post-game analysis with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, we referred to it on the broadcast as the ultimate nightmare for the Bengals and their fans this year, and that's the way it played out. Joe Burrow suffers a season-ending injury 10 games into the season, 10 games into a tremendous rookie season. He has energized the fan base, his teammates 100% in his corner, feeling very confident about the Bengals' future. But unfortunately, we will not get to watch Joe play for the final six games of the year. Yeah, I mean, he obviously, the impact that he had on the football team was obvious when he did get hurt. 
how everybody came off the sideline, every member of the sideline, from the assistant equipment people to the assistant trainers to everybody in between, coaches, players, all of them, and quite a few Washington football team members were there as well. So he has impacted uh, the entire league, and, and rightfully so. I mean, he's done an amazing job. He's, he's uh, as great a football player as he is. He's even got better people skills, the way he impacts people. I mean, it's uh, he's got the it factor. You know, we talk about it all the time. Whatever that it is, all the intangibles, all the abstracts, and all the concretes, he's got all of it. He really does. We do not know the extent of the injury as we do this for the podcast, but I still feel confident thinking he's going to be fine. Tom Brady tore his ACL and MCL in 2008, has not missed a start since. Carson Palmer suffered his injury in the playoffs in 2015, did it again in 2014, came back both times. Adrian Peterson tore his ACL and MCL on Christmas Eve one year. The next year he ran for more than 2,000 yards. So, again, we don't know the extent of the injury, but with modern medicine and rehab and Joe Burrow's work ethic, I feel very confident in thinking he is going to be fine. Yeah, the thing that that hit me is look at the quarterback and the other team in that football game. Look what he came back from. And there was no penalty on his injury. J.J. Watt just sacked him, took him to the ground, snapped his leg. No penalty on this injury. That That's the life of the quarterback. When you're in the pocket and there's all kinds of traffic around you, that's why, I mean, almost every time Alex Smith stays in the pocket and people are closing in around, on him, around him, I'm worried about him having the plant foot, you know, hit and the knee buckle and all those kind of things. That's what happened to Joe is Joe transferred his weight and knees planted and he gets hit and, and just does serious damage to, to that leg. The, the foot was planted in the ground. That's when the injuries happened. It was very, very similar to the injury that Carson Palmer suffered, uh, you know, on the backside of, of him as he transferred his weight to throw a football. Um, there was no penalty flag on Carson Palmer's either. Now, they changed the rule, but all these guys are hurt just playing quarterback. It's the, it's the you know, that's what they get paid the big bucks for. And I wonder what was going through Alex Smith's head when he saw that happen to Joe Burrow. It, it, it just it didn't seem like – think of the hits that Joe has taken, and that hit was – uh, obviously significant, but it, it's all about timing. If, you, if your foot's planted, it's terrible. If your foot's not, it's no big deal. You know, you just, you just your leg just kind of brushes it off. So there's, as the old saying goes, every single snap, every single player is, is vulnerable and susceptible to an injury, and quarterbacks certainly aren't uh, immune from that. And Joe Theismann's, no penalty. Lawrence Taylor's just taken him to the ground, and his leg snaps. You know, he just gets torqued and contorted the wrong way by powerful people and as a result things like this happen unfortunately the blame game has started I've seen on social media the Bengals were criminally negligent for not putting a better offensive line in front of Joe Burrow or they shouldn't have played him this year the line wasn't good enough you were part of the brotherhood you played offensive line in the NFL for 10 years in the USFL for two does that kind of stuff tick you off I can tell you that that nobody feels worse right now than Michael Jordan and other guys who, you know, had had an issue finishing a play. And if it's your – I know Eric Steinbach might have been one of Carson Palmer's better friends. Eric Steinbach, the last thing he wanted to do was have Kimo Van Ohoffen fall to the ground as he's blocking him and scramble and smash into Carson Palmer's leg. He was devastated. I mean, it's it, – it's, it's just unfortunately it's part of the game. Um 
and Zach Taylor addressed it in the postgame. In the first half, we talked about it. There were no sacks. You know, the first I thought their protection was pretty good. And at that point, Jack Del Rio had to start bringing a linebacker or safety. And, and uh, on, on that particular play, it was just the pocket at that time when he was throwing that football collapsed. I mean, he got hit just as significantly on the touchdown he threw to A.J. Green, but his foot was off the ground. You know, if it, it all it all it has a bearing on where your weight is, how you transferred, are you on your back foot, your front foot, have you finished your throw, are you in the middle of your throw? I mean, all of that is it's split-second timing, and sometimes you avoid injury and sometimes you get hurt, and that's that's just part of the part of the beast in the game of football. And uh, I thought, like everybody else, in the, in the beginning of the season, the the protection was tough. I mean, it, it was it was they were getting overpowered. And Joe has taken a lot of big hits. And he'll be the first one to tell you that he's been proud. And not just lip service. He's been proud of the way the offensive line has stood up for him, you know, over the last month. The guys did well. And particularly the juggle makeshift offensive line guys stepping up and doing what they were doing. So, um, yeah, it, is it uh, – <laughs> whenever a quarterback gets hurt, there's a reason he got, he got hit. There's a reason he got hurt. Very rarely is it just out in space, you know, a non-contact injury. It doesn't happen all that much with quarterbacks. And the guys that are normally involved in that are the offensive lines. So they are going to catch a tremendous amount of heat. And uh, it's tough. There's no question. It, it's tough. Those guys feel lower than low can be about the whole thing. And they're just going to have to endure and bounce, uh, bounce back through it themselves. Hakeem Adeniji started at right tackle after starting the previous two games at left. In the second half, he was taken out of the game for Bobby Hart. You obviously haven't had a chance to study tape or anything like that yet, but just from your viewing of the game line of live, did anything stand out? Yeah, I mean, I thought they were really, really teeing off, and uh, and he was having trouble finishing. They were being able to cut uh, the edge pretty short, you know, on him as he was trying to finish, and and to me. That is a product of him being very comfortable at the left tackle position and not as comfortable at right. He finishes and widens much easier at left tackle than he does at right tackle. And Bobby Hart has taken a beaucoup snaps at the right tackle position, and they felt at that point in time that it might be better to get Bobby Hart out there to finish you know, the set and to finish the, the protection part of things. And, I mean... Hakeem Adeniji was very uh, very honest and open about it himself in Zoom conference calls that he's much more comfortable at left tackle than he is at right, but he'll go play right tackle. And I think that it was just the finish of the set and the finish of the protection was where he was having just a little bit of a problem, and they didn't want that problem to intensify or magnify, and, and he'll, he'll learn from it. He'll learn from it definitely. And I, I thought for the most part, in the first half, I thought he played really well, pretty darn well. But then when you get behind by two-plus scores, it turns into a different type of pass protection. I mean, it's a much – I can speak from experience. All of a sudden, you've gone from driving around your neighborhood to driving on the Audubon. And, man, they're flying at you 100 miles an hour or more. It's crazy out there. You were undoubtedly in situations like this where a teammate suffered a – what appeared to be a season-ending injury while you were out there. I mean, just broadcasting the game, I felt deflated when it happened. I can't imagine what it's like to be on the field when that happens. What is it like? It's brutal. When, when Kenny got his, his neck, you know, almost – Keith Gary grabbed his face mask and tried to twist his, his head off his neck like the exorcist. Um, at that point, you know, we, we weren't really sure what the heck happened. You know, we, we had our backs to the whole thing. 
we got to the sideline force greg was he was ready to kill us you know that we didn't basically all uh maul keith gary and you know beat the ever-living dog out of him um but we really didn't know what took place i mean we knew he was hurt we felt terrible that he was hurt and it is it's, it's a it's as bad a feeling as you can experience because the guy who is the most important uh, guy on the offensive football team, the, the, the engine of the car, is down and out. And, man, you feel like, what? What did we do? What happened? What, what do we do now? And it, it is shocking. It's a shock to your system. And, you know, you, you end up going into this, into this weird space and you have to snap yourself out of it because right away – I mean, they're lining up, and there's another snap happening, and everything's coming 150 miles an hour again. You better be ready to go, or you might be the next one laying on the ground. We've talked about how difficult this year was going to be for somebody like Joe Burrow, no offseason program, no preseason games. In a sense, it might be even tougher for Ryan Finley because at least Burrow was getting all of the practice time with the first-teamers, tons of reps in practice. Ryan Finley didn't get preseason games, and he hasn't been getting those reps. Now he's got to take over with six games to go. Yeah, and, and what the Bengals decided to do, and rightfully so, Joe Burrow's our guy. Let's sit down. Head coach, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, and Joe, what do you like? What do you like from what you did at LSU? What should we add? What should we delete? You know, Where should we put a point of emphasis? And it was all about Joe and getting Joe comfortable and getting him playing well. And it worked. He's been playing great. He has a great understanding of what his offense is. He has a great understanding of what defenses are trying to do to take away his offense. Um, he can get to the right play, the right protection, do all those things. He, he's, he's as sharp mentally, honestly, he's as sharp mentally as any quarterback that I've seen. He really is. He's a brilliant football guy. Now, Ryan Finley is like, this is Joe's offense. And Joe's been running this offense. And, we, you know, I, I, I had no mini camps, no OTAs, no preseason games, no, no nothing. I mean, and I mean, I'm studying and I understand the, the game plan, but I haven't run it with the number ones. I mean, I, he was in a, he's in a brutal spot, as is Zach Taylor, Dan Pitcher, and everybody involved because now it's like we had all this, you know, this big universe of stuff that we wanted to do with Joe, and we have to cut it down to one planet you know, for Ryan Finley until we start to practice and get things going and, and sit down with him. And, Ryan, of what we've got installed offensively, what do you like? What do you not want any part of? They have to go through the whole process again, and it has to be really compressed and sped up. And uh, Ryan Finley's no dummy. I mean, he's an intelligent guy. So that part of it I think they'll, they'll get through. But uh, to the only, the only way you can get the rhythm and timing is time and reps. It just you can't just take a rhythm and timing pill and be like, I'm ready to go, you know, in a matter of less than a week. It just doesn't doesn't work that way. So it's uh it's a challenge for sure. There's no question about it. Finley went three for ten off the bench for thirty yards last year in the three games he started. He completed forty seven percent of his passes, four hundred seventy four yards, two touchdowns, two picks, passer rating of sixty two point one. So he's got a lot of uh, room for improvement based on those three starts last year. The Bengals had one other quarterback in the building, Brandon Allen, who is on the practice squad. He'll get promoted, you would assume, to the, the regular roster. Started three games for the Denver Broncos last year. Beat the Cleveland Browns. Lost the other two. 
completing 46% of his passes in the uh, br- brief time that he played for the Denver Broncos. Then you assume they've got to go out and get somebody else to have another quarterback in the building. In case you're wondering about Jake Dolagala, who was on the roster last year and was in training camp this year, he's been picked up by the Patriots on their practice squad. So maybe they go and get him back, although in order to do that, I guess they'd have to put him on the regular roster in order to take him off the Patriots practice squad. Yeah, they would. They'd have to, you know, obviously move a guy. Would it be place kicker or cyber? Who who would be the guy that would be moved? Um, So there's some interesting decisions to be made there. And that's assuming the Patriots do not make him one of the four weekly protected guys on the practice squad. Exactly. Exactly. And, And could you move a guy from you know, your regular roster to the practice squad to make room and all those things that go along with it. So, yeah, they're they're grinding right now. Duke Tobin and his entire staff are, are uh, hitting the phones, hitting the wires, <laughs> trying to find out who's out there, who's uh, – and, and the thing is, there's there's no preseason games to evaluate. There's no scrimmages to – there's no nothing to evaluate. It's just a matter of who's out there, what names, and then try to go back and look, do they have any kind of prior history in the National Football League? What do we think about this guy if he has no prior history in the NFL coming out of college? Go back to the college tape. Go back to the college reports on him and all those kind of things. So they'll be burning up a lot of hours tonight. There's no doubt about it as they try to uh, get themselves ready for the New York Giants, New York football Giants coming to Cincinnati. So Zach Taylor was asked about it after the game. What's the objective now with six games to go? And he said, you know, what, what would you expect him to say? Our goal is to win as many games as possible. Is it that simple? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the ultimate goal. And what you have to do is is figure out the way to get that done. How do you do that? I mean, you have to have realistic expectations of, I mean, it changes everything. It changes Lou Anaruma's approach to the game. It changes how he maybe... Uh, thinks through situations and possibilities during the course of the game because the offense is more hindered than they were when Joe Burrow was out there. You can take maybe more chances defensively. Maybe you don't take any chances defensively. Maybe I mean, it's what you have to do is try to inspire your defense uh, to buckle up and, and uh, put on big boy pads and extra chin straps and just got to shut down points. I mean, you just can't be giving up. You. You, you think right now as a defense, if I give up 21, we're in trouble. Can't give up 21. And, and d- the defensive goal it always was, now the NFL has changed, but when I was a player, 17 was the number. On the board, all the goals, you know, limit this number of yards rushing, this number of yards passing, and the points were 17. And rushing and passing yards, particularly passing yards, were less back then because now it's a passing league. But with those passing yards changing, you know, points probably changed too. I would assume that it's probably 21 instead of 17. But you almost have to go back to 17. <laughs> and that's that's going to be a, a little bit of a challenge. I mean, um, do the do New York Giants have a have an offense that hangs 35-40 on everybody every week? No, but they have a quarterback who's drafted damn high, and he's a pretty good athlete. There's no question about it. They don't have Saquon Barkley. They, they've got some – their offensive line's not one of the top ten in the league and all those kind of things. But, you know, they, they've got an ability – to hang 21 points on anybody, so you're going to have to be at your best, at your best. And then special teams, you're going to have to own field position. You're going to have to create takeaways. Defense is going to have to create takeaways. There's no way you can go minus in the turnover department now and expect to win a football game. You didn't win any of them before now. If you if you think about if you turn it over now, that's when it's not 
well, it's not just losing a game, it's how you lose a game. And, you know, this year the Bengals have lost a lot of close games and, and were competitive and people were okay. Then you look at Pittsburgh and Baltimore and how they lost those football games. People had major problems. So now, down the stretch, it's like we've got to try to figure out a way to win. But if we don't, it's how we, can, how we lose in this football game. What are we looking like? We have to, you know, look at big picture of that whole thing. It's been a bad day. It's been a bad year. But I do have one positive thing to mention to maybe put a little smile on your face as the day comes to an end. This is the last time this year you will have to worry about saying a team's nickname that, that, no, that they no longer use. I'm telling you, I think see, the, the Miami Redhawks used to be the Redskins. I knew them as the Miami Redskins. I know a lot of teams. As a, I, I couldn't get rid. And then, of course, once it starts, man, a Shevitz. I was, I was back, back a bunch of years. But I'm glad the Washington Football Club is at the airport as we speak, flying out of this place, man. It was a, I mean, I wish the, glad the Bengals are at the airport flying back here and getting out of that city because I've had enough of, a, of, of the Washington Football Club, otherwise known as that bad R word. <laughs> Here's a quick reminder to join Lap and Lance McAllister for Bengals Line Monday night from 6 to 9 on 700 WLW. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time for this week's fun fact segment, where you get to know the person under the pads. Time for some fun facts with defensive tackle Xavier Williams, a native of Kansas City, a city known for the Chiefs, the Royals, and some great barbecue. Let's start with that. When you go home, where do you go for barbecue and what are you piling on your plate? Oh, man. There's a couple of spots I like to hit for different things, but number one spot is Gates. And what's going on that plate? Oh, uh, big rib guy, um, barbecue beans, and burn-ins. Got to have burn-ins if you're going to Kansas City. Love the burn-ins. I'm with you. You're from a football family, Xavier. Your older brother, Roderick, was part of a Division II national championship team and got an NFL tryout with the Chiefs. But did I read correctly that your sister and mother played football too? Yeah, they did. My sister played in high school. Uh, my Actually, she played a couple years after college in the semi-pro league down in Texas. Uh, my mom played in the semi-pro women's league. I think that league started in Kansas City when she was about 40. Actually, right as she was 40 years old, and she played four years. Mom was a quarterback, and your sister was a linebacker? Yeah, linebacker, running back. <laughs> That's pretty cool. We're speaking with Xavier Williams. You attended Grandview High School in the Kansas City area. You played football, you wrestled. Did you have any other interests or activities? I come from a basketball family, actually. Uh, so I attempted basketball and never, the sport just really didn't like me as much as I tried to like it. So, but that was about it. And a little bit of track and big video game guy. <laughs> We're doing fun facts with Xavier Williams. Your favorite player growing up in Kansas City was the late, great Hall of Fame linebacker, Derek Thomas. Why did you idolize him? Uh, I mean, even from a young age, you could just tell everything that he did was it was just special. Everybody talked about it. Uh, I got to meet him a couple times uh, growing up. One of my friends that I played on a little league team with, which was also the Chiefs, uh, his dad worked security. He actually still works security there now. Uh, he's the head of security there now. But he uh, convinced Derek Thomas and a couple of those guys to come and visit us. And he, uh, 
used to like let us uh, take us to games and stuff. We got to meet the guys. So I mean, it was just it was just I get to see them play on TV. I got to meet them in person. You know, I just love the the tenacity of which you play with the energy. It was just always great. Just kind of pulled me in. We're doing fun facts with Xavier Williams. From there, it was on to the University of Northern Iowa, about a five-hour drive from Kansas City. How'd you wind up there? Uh, they came, they got me. Unfortunately, my high school team wasn't that great and we're kind of tucked away in the south side of Kansas City. So not a big football powerhouse by any means. And they just kind of found me, invited me to a camp. I did really well. They offered me like right away and just kind of just kept building relationships. So about time I was ready to sign, I kind of gotten a few more offers, but they had been there the whole time. Uh, took visits there, love the coaching staff and it's kind of all fit. What were some of the highlights of your college experience on or off the field? Uh, I really enjoyed the community there. One of my best friends, his family lived right in Waterloo, which is a town connected to Cedar Falls. So being able to spend like uh, holidays where I couldn't go back home, they would uh, invite like the whole defensive line over. We have meals and everything. Uh, one on the field, uh, the probably greatest game that we had was we played against North Dakota State when they were ranked number one in the nation, like a 33 game win streak or something. We beat them at home in Cedar Falls. Uh, like, did I, it was always a fantastic experience playing at the Dome. Coming out of Northern Iowa, you signed as a college free agent with Arizona and spent your first three NFL seasons with the Cardinals, playing with Carson Palmer, Larry Fitzgerald, Calais Campbell, Patrick Peterson, and a lot of great players. How about some of the highlights of your time in Arizona? I mean, that was probably my most memorable years just for kind of what you were saying. You know, there was so much talent on that team, just kind of like legendary guys, opportunity to come in, be a young guy, and just be able to sit around, see how those guys operate. And, you know, got to talk to Carson, talk to uh, Larry. It was kind of like a shocking moment. I was like, oh, like, why are you guys talking to me? You guys are like 12 <laughs> years in. But uh, it, it was so fun just being around there, hearing the stories that those guys told from just the years and years that they played. Uh, and, and, you know, being around the city also was just a fun time, great place to live. Nice coming from the Midwest, always living in the Midwest. Didn't realize there was places in the world people didn't have to shovel their driveway in the winter. So, <laughs> Like that was fantastic. After three years in Arizona, you became a free agent and went home. You signed with your hometown team, the Kansas City Chiefs. Was it the best offer or was going home a big part of your decision? <laughs> it was it was both, honestly. So it made it so much easier. It was the best offer that I got and it was my hometown team. Uh, got in. It, it was a weird process because I was tendered from the Cardinals. So, you know, there's a little negotiation. I had to go back and forth. So. I think I, I took a visit to Kansas City twice before I officially signed, and I never told my mom about it because I didn't want to get her hopes up in case it uh, fell through. So, but it was great. It, it all worked out. Got to got to uh, sign with the Chiefs. I moved back home with my mom until for like the first two months till my apartment got finished. I mean, she was she was happy. Brought my my daughter was there. Yeah, it was a great time. Back in the childhood bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After three years in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. You know, those hotel fees, they get you. That's a good point. So if you didn't tell her those two times that you visited before you signed, what was her reaction when you broke the news? Mom, I'm coming home. Oh, she was ecstatic. Actually, she knew before I even told her. Uh, well, I, I kind of like messaged my brother because he, he had like somebody had told him randomly. He's like, hey, are you in town? Uh, and I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, are you here for the Chiefs? I was like, well, yeah. I was like, just keep it, keep it low though for a little bit. And 
yeah, I'm, at some point he must have told my mom. So I signed and my mom was just kind of like, oh yeah, I was just waiting for you to say something so I could say something back. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. The whole family, like, I mean, all my family still lives there. So they were all just ecstatic. Uh, all of them huge Chiefs fans still, you know, hopefully some more Cincinnati fans now. But uh, yeah, so everybody was just really excited. And it worked out like a Hollywood script last year in your second year with your hometown team, you won a Super Bowl ring. Yeah. You tell your grandkids about that. How are you going to describe that experience? Oh man, I mean, it, it's something. It's <laughs> it's a wonderful kind of experience. I mean, the whole setup from getting down there, playing the game, uh, just the feeling of, I think, I was there for the first time they ever held an AFC championship game. So being there and winning it the second time ever that they held an AFC championship game, you know, everything was just so monumental there in Kansas city. It's been so long. I think my mom was like a kid three or four when they won their last super bowl. So I probably shouldn't put that on the air, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So everybody was just so excited. It was just a great time to be there. And I mean, I couldn't even put into words how happy I was to be back home, win the championship. Uh, everybody got to everybody's kind of waiting to get a chance to try the ring on now. So I got to lock that away for a while. But uh, yeah, great. Super Bowl rings are ridiculous. You can't wear them. No, it's more like a belt buckle. Yeah, you kind of like everybody talks to is like, no, you, you put it in a nice case and you just like stare at it. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, uh, I'll, I'll bring it out. Uh, most guys like, yeah, I probably only wore it like once or twice in my life. It's not something you just put on. It's, it's pretty audacious. So it's like it's a spectacle. <laughs> Great word, audacious. So people around here are interested in one of your former Chiefs teammates, Travis Kelsey, who played at the University of Cincinnati and obviously has become one of the best tight ends in the NFL. Describe Travis Kelsey. Energy and happy. <laughs> like that's really what that's all he's about. He goes out there, he competes his butt off and he has a great time. I'm sure everybody remembers the uh, interview after the the Super Bowl or the AFC Championship, the whole fight for your right to party. That's him. That's just him. That encapsulates him like perfectly. That's what he's all about. Working his butt off, going out there, being one of the best and, you know, just having fun doing it. All right. A few wild card questions to wrap up fun facts with Xavier Williams. Are you a Star Wars guy? <laughs> Big Star Wars guy. Yeah. <laughs> Read the books, watch the movies, everything. Got a That's dog invader. It's, it's a whole... <laughs> <laughs> you have a daughter named phoenix what do you love most about being a dad you know the excitement that she has on days like i finished playing a game and you know win or loss you're kind of beat down and you're tired and she can just come in a room just smile bright eyed jump on me which you know, sometimes that's a little more painful some days but jumps on me and just kind of automatically gives me, puts me in a better mood, no matter, no matter how I'm feeling, she can just always put me in a better mood. And you know, I try to give her that energy, the same energy back and help, hopefully she feels the same way, but it's just a great feeling to come home. And it's always somebody sitting there smiling, waiting on you. What do you like to spend your money on? I like to travel. Uh, I'm really into camping. So I guess something that me and my wife would both enjoy. Uh, we got out last year. We took advantage of the extra time that we had. Went up to Wyoming a little bit. Got out, uh, live in Arizona, and we got into the back country and just kind of commune with nature. My daughter is really into it. My dog likes it, so I pretty much all my money. We bought a camper, a little pop-up camper. So that's for only, really the only thing I really kind of indulge in. All right, final fun fact for Xavier Williams: If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, 
entertainer, statesman, you name it, who would that person be? I love to meet myself. If I, like when I was a kid, I think it would be really awesome to come back like, hey, just pop up like you're an NFL player. That's all I need to hear and then disappear and then go back to my present time. And I just think like that would be the best feeling. This has been fun. You're off the hot seat. I appreciate your time. Best of luck the rest of the year. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. My thanks to Xavier Williams. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.